morning, beloved. I'm Jonathan Coleman, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. I want to welcome you and those who are tuning in through our live stream. For several weeks, we have been journeying through uh, our Lenten season and examining psalms that help us connect with God, especially through prayer, in a deeper way. So let's jump right in and look at Psalm 137 that Jacqueline and Eric introduced us to. And let's look at all the words. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of those songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. I want you to raise your hand if this is your favorite psalm. <laughs> right? <laughs> no one. This is known as an imprecatory psalm. One of the vengeful psalms. The author is unknown. The psalm was written after the fall of Jerusalem at the hands of the Chaldean Empire, which took place between 597 and 586 B.C. It begins with lament. Jerusalem has been sacked and burned to the ground. The temple has been destroyed. Judah has ceased, ex, ceased to exist as a nation. Thousands and thousands of people were taken to exile in to Babylon, that city, the capital of that empire. These were days of despair and hopelessness for the people of God, the Jewish people. It was also a time of turmoil and crisis in their faith. They believed that they were the chosen people of God that placed them in the promised land and that he would protect them from their enemies. Why would God allow a pagan nation to come and sweep them, sack them? And then to make matters worse, these enemies, they demand that they sing. Hey, sing one of those happy songs of Zion that we heard you sing. They will not do it. How can they sing with heavy hearts? Especially in a foreign land, they say. And the psalmist calls down a curse upon himself if he ever forgets his beloved Jerusalem. And then the psalmist begins to pick God's memory. God, do you remember how the Edomites cheered when Jerusalem fell? Edomites were a nearby nation. While Israel can trace its, its origin back to Jacob, the Edomites can trace their, their ancestry back to Esau, Jacob's brother. So they're connected. Instead of helping Israel, they gloat over their defeat. Then this psalm gets very uncomfortable, doesn't it? 
Happy is the one who repays Babylon for what they have done. Happy is the one who dashes the infants against the rocks. God's people calling for murder of babies? This psalm is very, very hard to read. You see, the psalmist is not so much calling for the killing of babies as he's calling for the end of this evil empire that's doing horrific things. And just a few years later in 539 BC, that's what happens. The Persian king Cyrus comes in and invades Babylon and defeats them. And that's the end of this short-lived evil empire. Isaiah prophesies that and prophesies that the Jewish people would be able to return home out of exile. Psalm 37 is one of revenge and violence. The writer is expressing deep anger at the injustice. He's giving his voice to his hatred and also to the people who've done these horrible atrocities to him and his nation. This psalm is real and raw and expresses deep emotion as we've seen in many of the psalms here on the Litton journey. The psalmist does not hold back expressing that hatred. In fact, enemies are acknowledged in the, in the psalms quite a bit. And he's experienced that. And a part of his healing is expressing that pain to pray it out. As Christians, we think we need to avoid anger, don't we? God gave us these emotions. Emotions are a gift from God. Anger is natural. It helps us vent. We can't bottle it up. If anger is not expressed in healthy ways, it'll lead to hate and bitterness and rage and foolish actions and words. Folks, anger is not bad. However, it needs to be prayed through. Also, justice needs to be upheld. Jesus got angry in the temple when the money changers were cheating people through their weights and measurements of people who were purchasing uh, birds and other animals to sacrifice in the temple. And Jesus drove them out. And in his anger, righteous anger, told them that his father's house is a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. When we get angry about things like injustice, racism, and bad behavior, it can be a virtue. And we see that throughout history when Christians have called out injustice and have renovated the world through the teaching of Jesus Christ. You see, anger tells us when something is wrong, when things don't work out the way they're supposed to. Supposed to. And when we see the abuses of the world and true evil... We have every right to be angry. This is where the psalmist goes in 137. Horrible actions against his people make this psalmist see red and he expresses it deeply and emotionally. However, there's a line that should not be crossed. Anger is not a sin, but it can easily lead to sin. The Apostle Paul addresses this in his, uh, the fourth chapter of his letter to the Ephesians, in verse 26, he says, Be angry, but do not sin. Paul here warns us to find out what lies behind our anger before it leads to something very, very bad. And if you don't deal with your anger problem, it could one day escalate to the point where it could do, you could do something extreme and re regrettable. Violence and abusive words is one of those possible outcomes. 
You can get so angry that you end up hurting yourself or someone you care about without intending to do so. We see this in Genesis chapter 4. Cain is the older son of Adam and Eve and the brother of Abel. Cain was a farmer and his younger brother Abel was a shepherd. And the brothers, they offered sacrifices to Yahweh, to God. And God preferred Abel's sacrifice. Verses 5 or 15 or 5 through 7 state, and this is what God says to Cain. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. We see Cain does not rule over his anger. He directs his anger at his brother and eventually murders Abel. But deep behind that anger is rejection and jealousy. That's what this at the core of Cain. That's the core of what he was feeling. Yet Cain let his anger lead to hate and process into premeditated murder and sin. It wasn't Abel's fault. He did nothing wrong. He just offered his sacrifice. And God sees what Cain has done and asks him, where is your brother Abel? And Cain replies with this famous line, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And God pronounces judgment. Cain is banished into endless wandering. Folks, God gave Cain a warning. And I think these warnings pop up and red flags pop up in our lives. You're on the verge of sin. You must control it and rule over it. And Cain had an opportunity to process and think about the rejection and, and that jealousy and that feeling that he was having. And he allowed those feelings to steamroll in to a very bad scene. We have to process what's behind our anger. We do. There are times when I've asked people in counseling, and I've also asked myself, why are you so angry? I sit there and think about that. Anger is a check engine light that tells us that something's wrong and we should do everything to fix it. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, I quoted a little bit before, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. The enemy can work his way into our lives if we allow it to reside and let it go unchecked. Proverbs 14, 17 says, an angry person does foolish things. Proverbs 29, 22 says, a hot-tempered man commits sin. I'll tell you from experience, I can't let anger go unchecked. Time and time and time again, I do have to process and think out, think about, think out, yeah, and pray through what's going on inside of me and the turmoil that I'm feeling. I remember, I, I, you know, with three older brothers being the youngest kid, you think about that just for a second. There were fist fights that were popping up and hot-tempered words. Looking back, my mom helped me process thoughts and feelings and helped me form good mental tools. Thanks be to God for these kinds of moms. I still call my mom every week. And when my soul is heavy, I still share with her. I also know when to go see a counselor, folks, and it's okay to ask for help. That's a sign of great resiliency. 
It's a part of good self-care. We are wise when we do those kinds of things in helping control these emotions, especially what we say to people. You see, our tongues can be untamed. A well-controlled mouth can help neutralize anger. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So while other sins have to be overcome, anger has to be managed. We don't talk about managing pride or idolatry or gluttony. We want to rid those things out of our lives. But according to Jesus and Paul and James, we must learn to express our anger in a godly way. Otherwise, it becomes dangerous to our Christian life and our walk and becoming holy as he is holy. And it can open the door of getting or letting evil get a foothold. So how do we manage our anger? Great therapy is to simply acknowledge our anger and our hatred sometimes in ways that are, you have to meditate and speak it. Name what is wrong so that it comes into the light, the light of God. Cain felt rejected, rejected and it turned into jealousy. Those emotions in, his mo- in motion were in his brain. What if Cain just simply yelled at God and said, God, I'm so angry. Why? Why did you accept Abel's offering? And not mine. Why? And I'm sure God would have given him the reasons. And we can do that too. Have you ever given it up and given God the what for? A few weeks ago, I talked about that, that it's okay. God can take it. We can say, Lord, I'm so mad right now. I'm mad at him. I'm mad at her. I'm mad at myself. I'm mad at the world and what's going on. And I don't know what to do about it, God. Telling God exactly how. How mad are you? How hurt are you? How helpless do you feel sometimes? And it's, it's okay to express that in anger and prayer. This is what the psalmist does. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did? They said horrible things. And it helped this psalmist relieve this pressure. It's okay to express that pain, that hurt. You think about it, look, at, look, in the, look in the Bible, his biblical characters did it all the time. Moses, Elijah, and Jeremiah, they let, it, they let God have it from time to time. And usually they were telling God how impatient they were with the foolish things God's own people were doing. And when we tell God about our anger, God's own Holy Spirit listens and promises to listen to our groanings and help minister to us in those groanings and even intercede in those groanings. Well, some of us would say it's not that simple. (laughs) Anger is far too complex. Dr. Les Carter in his book, Good and Angry, says, anyone who lives a life of anger is choosing to do so. You see, vengeance needs to be left to God. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. I will repay. God said this, and the Apostle Paul quotes this again in Romans. As those who are created in the image of God, we are hardwired for justice. We have an intense sense for right and right, of right and wrong implanted in our conscience. And when wrong is done, we feel the need to set it right 
as those who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We want the real flesh and blood perpetrators of evil to be punished. And the Lord has given us avenues with our legal, legal systems and authorities just for that purpose. However, there are times when wrong goes unpunished, when wickedness flourishes unrestrained, when human systems of justice fail and we want to take matters into our own hands. Striking back with due retribution that we desire to inflict upon those who have wronged us. But our desire for vengeance and vindiction must be transferred into God's hands. And He alone can dispense fair justice with His righteousness, His true righteousness. When the psalmist calls down curses, this is precisely, yes, what he is doing. He's asking the Lord to take vengeance. Remember God when they did this? Rather than taking it himself, he's pouring out that anguish of, the, of reprisal into, the, into prayer rather than taking these things into his own hands and living them out in his actions. So rather than getting, getting revenge on someone who has done something evil to you, choose instead to counter it with positive action. Jesus said, love your enemies. Practice being kind and passionate, knowing compassionate, knowing that God is the one who avenges. Jesus teaches us that the answer to hatred is love, that we should overcome evil with good. I believe when we respond in love and compassion, it helps witness to others to take the high road too. Time and time again, I've seen Christians do that, and it inspires me to act and put that behavior and insert it into myself. It's all about living like Jesus Christ. Jesus has a plan to transform each of us into his own image, whereby his actions are channeled through us. God wants to make us a holy people, folks. Irritations that come our way daily, on this daily basis, are opportunities for us to deal with anger in the right way. When we respond in a biblical Jesus Christ way, it'll keep our hearts soft and permeable with love and compassion instead of our hearts growing cold and callous. We need those daily challenges, and they're like water that nourishes the fruit and helps the fruit of the Holy Spirit grow in us. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Honestly, there isn't a day goes, that, that goes by that I don't have the temptation to get angry. <laughs> Sometimes I succeed in keeping anger out when it comes knocking at my door and tries to overthrow uh, and sometimes I fail. I know when I stay into the spiritual practices that we practice here at Anderson Hills, it gives me a daily dose of that nourishment, and I call it antiseptic for the day. And I'm better able to keep from sinning. Sometimes my prayer life is just pouring out my heart to God and my hurts and the abuses to God, and I know my wife and and my mom, and other godly men who walk alongside of me. 
Jesus talks about the importance of resolving your anger too. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take it to one or two others along so that every matter can be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. You see, the Holy Spirit is always nudging us to reconcile because the heart of Christian living is reconciliation with God and each other. We're always tempted to just hang on to that anger. And you know what? Pride can get in the way too. Pride can put up a wall. We don't want to admit when we have been offended or when we have offended and made a mistake. God's word gives us so much guidance. And deep in the heart of God's word, there's help through the ministry of the word and the Holy Spirit helping us to be a forgiving people. You see, forgiveness is not an emotion, my friends. It's a holy choice. It's a choice that we as Christian followers need to make sometimes every day. Do you know the Holy Spirit wants you to help forgive to help you forgive others and most of all, maybe even more so, forgive yourself as well. If you let unforgiveness harbor It'll poison the wellspring of your life. That's why Jesus says that we should take care of it quickly. Matthew 25, he says, leave your offering there at the altar and go. First make peace with your brother and then come and present your offering. Leave your offering there at the altar and go. Don't even bother with the offering sacrifice, Jesus is saying. Do some reconciliation first. Resolve it. How do you do that? You take responsibility for your part in it. You acknowledge that you hurt their feelings and you ask for forgiveness. Then once you've cooled down, you just resolve that issue, maybe sometimes with another brother or sister. On a chilly October day in 2006, recess had just ended for 20 Amish children. They were going back into their small one-room schoolhouse. A local milk truck driver named Charles Roberts pulled up in front of the school and he went inside. After letting the adults and the boys go, he lined up the 10 remaining girls in front of the chalkboard and he shot them. And then Charles took his own life In the days that followed, it wasn't the hate of the killer, but the forgiveness of the victim's families that became the center of the story that went around the world. America, yes, they were shot and they were paying grief, but they were inspired also by these Amish Christians who could offer forgiveness when their children and grandchildren had been murdered. One of the grandfathers of the victim says, we must not think evil of this man. He was hurting. Another Amish father noted, he had a mother and a wife and a soul, and now he's standing before a just God. 
the Amish visited and comforted the shooter's widow, parents, and his parents-in-law. One of the one Amish man held Robert's sobbing father in his arms almost for an hour to comfort him. The Amish set up a charitable fund for the family of the shooter. The West Nickel Mine School was demolished the following week and the site is now quiet pasture. But these people chose to forgive. And I believe Holy Spirit enabled them to take actions this way. As long as they're alive, they won't forget what has happened. But they made a Holy Spirit-led choice. How is it possible? God's grace. This is the great hope of us as Christians that we share in the bond with them. We believe that someday there will be an end to all evil, my friends. Someday there will be a final end to all suffering and we'll live in the new creation where there's no tears, no sorrow, no pain, and no death. How is this possible? It's through the ministry of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and in his resurrection. And you think about the ministry of his death on the cross when he cried, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And soon after he died and he atoned, for the sins of the world and the evil acts that all, all would do. And we have victory in our Lord Jesus Christ over sin and death. We long for that day. And with great hope in the presence, that's God's victory. God's victory is secure. And that someday the enemy of our souls will no longer haunt us. These psalms, they're pointers, they're reminders They're beacons of hope in our God who has triumphed over these things and will bring these horrible things to a final end. And with God's help, we together can live as ambassadors of God's love, compassion, forgiveness, and break the cycle of hate, forgiving others just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. And there we will find release. And there we will find healing. Let us pray. God, I know that there is uh, deep pain inside of us. There's harm and abuses that have occurred. And people sometimes who do not know what they do. But you are our help. You are our rem- you are the remedy. Your Holy Spirit desires to minister to us in ways that we can't even possibly imagine to heal, to restore, and to help forgive. God, we pray in these moments that you would minister and you'd fill this place with your healing. We thank you for these psalmists that that are able to express these, these types of words, that we can join them and process them and pray them through. It's okay to acknowledge all of these things before you, and you tell us that constantly. 
for your ministry of the word in the Holy Spirit. So God, have your way in us and work with uh, in us through your miraculous healing. And we pray all of this in the name of the one who overcame sin and death and evil, Jesus Christ our Lord.